building his online learning platform, 42 Courses, turned into the literal fight of his life when Chris Rawlinson was diagnosed with cancer. Chris used to build smart homes in London, fly planes commercially in Africa, make wine in Cape Town, and looked after innovation for ad agencies Ogilvy and WPP. He survived his near-death experience and talks to us about the impact that had on his startup, his personal life, and his co-founder relationship as they were scaling this business. My name is Nick Harrell-Ambus, and I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So remember, it's not over until it's over. Okay, welcome back to It's Not Over. Chris, thank you for joining me all the way from Cape Town today. It's an honor, sir, Nick. Um, haven't spoken to you for a while, so this is lovely. I know, and uh, I'm excited to hear about 42 courses and everything you've been building and um, obviously more interested in hearing about your near-death business experience. But before we get into that, let's give me some context. Uh, what business are we talking about? How does it make money? When did you build it? Who did you build it with? Anything you think that I'll find interesting, hit me. I'll try and give you the short version. The short version is uh, I... Um... We got time. <laughs> uh, it, it probably helps for context for the other stuff that we're going to talk about later but it, essentially I've always loved learning in my life and I think there are things consolidated that or confirmed that in my head I mean one of them was actually quite cheesy it was just watching that Sir Ken Robinson video on schools kill creativity and at the time I was transitioning into an ad agency called Ogilvy and I was like absolutely they kill creativity and and I was also with one of our good mutual friends, Dave Duarte, we, we had started a, a thing with Ogilvy teaching digital marketing. The people who started going onto the course were very surprised that it wasn't dull and boring and actually was quite fun. And I guess neither Dave nor myself came from an academic background. I didn't even go to university. I'm massively dyslexic. We, we really enjoyed making it. And one of our thing, thoughts was, it'd be great if we could put this online. Back back when digital marketing was an early thing. Anyway, we, we thought it would be great to, to do something online. And when I looked at all the learning companies, generally speaking, I just thought they were really terrible. It was, it, they were mostly created by academics for academics. And the problem is, I think, that in life, most people, when they're in a job, are not academic. They just need to know the practical skills, build confidence, and you know, learn, hopefully, in a way that's not going to bore them to death quickly, in, in a quick way, and then use whatever they've learned in, in their day-to-day -day job. Nothing like that existed, so we were like, by oh, great, we're going to have to build it ourselves. I ended up building it for no particular reason. Uh, Dave had other things going on. So uh, I started building it with uh, with some developer friends over here in Cape Town. And then we registered the company in the UK and moved back to the UK, launched the company in uh, January or like early 2017. And yeah, it's been kind of building up from there. It's an ed executive education company. We sell courses to individuals. Um, businesses do buy from our company as well now, but originally it was just um, B2C. The B2B stuff happened totally by chance. The companies just phoned up and said, hey, we really like this. Our employees are enjoying it. Can we buy it for our company? And it's like, sure. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so it's been growing. And with the pandemic, obviously, we've taken leaps and bounds. But the first three years or so were, were you know, really good fun, but also pretty. You can't really afford to. We, we didn't purposely didn't take on uh, venture funding. And so it was myself and my one of my best friends, a chap called Jake Courage, helped me start it. He quit his job in advertising in Australia and flew back to the UK. And so we were living in a spare room in his parents' house in, in London and working all hours of the day because with our platform, it's, it's not fully automated. So it's on-demand learning, but we do manual marking and give people feedback. 
So people would be marking things, you know, sometimes midnight to three o'clock in the morning and we have to do it. So, so what ended up happening was over a protracted period of time, I got basically no sleep, was incredibly stressed and, you know, you're not making huge amounts of money. I think at the time I wasn't even paying myself anything. And everything we got, I put back into the business or to the two or three employees that we could. We obviously needed a full-time developer and we had a copywriter and a designer. It's, we've kept the team kind of small, but we've grown a little bit. But uh, yeah, it really wasn't making lots of money. <laughs> it's costing lots of money though. So all, all my money, all my time and well, all of our money and all of our time, I guess. But for me in particular, I think unfortunately... It sort of ended up combining and, and, and I'd noticed I wasn't feeling quite right when I was, I went into a hospital in, I think it was late one year and uh, in Cape Town actually. And I said, oh, can you just um, check that everything's okay? And I, I noticed some kind of bit of an ugly story, but I just noticed that when I went to the loo, there was some blood um, coming out from somewhere where it shouldn't do. And the doctor's like, oh, no, it's probably piles. Don't worry, you'll be fine. I was like, oh, phew, oh, yeah, thank God. And and then it never went away. So a few months later, I went into a hospital in the UK. And I was back there and they're like, nah, it's probably piles. Don't worry, it's fine. And then I persisted and went back in. And eventually they were like, okay, we're going to run some tests. And uh, they ran some tests. And then I remember being uh, drugged up and on a table. And this doctor said to me, um, Oh, Mr. Rawlinson, I'm sorry to inform you that you've got cancer. And I think my first question was, fuck, am I going to die? The doctor said, hang on, give me a second. <laughs> the longest second <laughs> you've ever had. He was looking at some charts. Not the kind of reply you'd like to that question. Yeah, yeah exactly. And he, he yeah, I, I mean, I feel really sorry for people who must be in that situation having to have this. Because I could tell the room went, there was a couple of junior doctors there. And they went really quiet. <clears throat> so I kind of thought, okay, there's something, something not quite right. Anyway, the guy eventually came back and um, he goes, look, I've looked at your scans and it looks like it started to spread, but it hasn't properly spread yet. So if we get this done quickly, it should be okay. <clears throat> and and I think that, that was like a you know, relief and fear at the same time. And uh, luckily in the UK, the, the hospital system over there is pretty good when it comes to, to, to dealing with cancer. It's a thing called the NHS, which a lot of people berate. If you read the newspapers, you'd think it's terrible. But it's actually, I mean, in my experience, it's always been absolutely phenomenally incredible, certainly compared to anywhere else in the world that I've lived. And yeah, they they dealt with it very efficiently. And I started the short summary is I, I, I pretty much immediately went um, to start uh, chemotherapy six months and then had about another three or four months of radiotherapy after that and they were saying that I'd have to do that and then probably have to have surgery and the whole thing took about a year obviously there were lots of business implications for that but uh, the happy ending story is off after a year when they went to go and check it again they were like it's totally disappeared we can't see anything and so I've been touch wood in remission for the last uh, year and a half and obviously slightly changed my lifestyle to try and make sure that doesn't happen again because when it happened I was 37 which is very young to have uh, stage three cancer and thank god I'm okay long may it remain that way 
But uh, I mean, I, I understand that's a gross oversimplification of what happens. Of course. And we'll dig into some of the detail <clears throat> now. So tell me about the building of this business started you not paying yourself a salary. I imagine your co-founder isn't either, but you are gaining traction. You're making money from selling courses directly to consumers at the moment. So they come online, they buy $60 worth of course, you get the money, you carry on. So your job at this point is to get as many people on your site as possible who want to buy courses from you. And that's what you're grinding away at, like a good founder, every day, every night, on the weekends, all day, nonstop. And you're doing that for how long without paying yourself? Now, this part, it intrigues me because uh, much like you and not as severe, though, my body reacts to stress very physically. I am Same. mostly bald because I stressed myself bald. Yeah, you know the feeling. One of my startups that you'll remember called Motribe, I had kidney yeah. stones twice. I had a stomach ulcer that put me in hospital. I had insomnia. So for me, this is a very um, real story. And people mm -hmm. who don't think that stress manifests physically need to listen up quite carefully. So mm -hmm. I want to talk about the the details here because they matter. Not paying yourself a salary, working yourself to the bone, not sleeping properly. You were doing at the age of 35, six, so you were old enough to know better and you're still driving yourself into this. The question I wanna ask you is why? You're, you're absolutely right, I knew exactly what was happening and what I was doing. I mean, one of the courses that we had made too long before this actually happened was we had created a sleep course with the UK's number one sleep doctor and the know, world we, is nothing if not ironic right, eh? right and when we were making the course the sleep doctor we were mm. chatting to him we went to loads of lectures to try and learn as much as we could about sleep it's actually free on 42 courses if anyone wants to take it there's no cost for it i just thought it's one of those things it, it sleep is one of those things where everyone surely should learn about sleep you know we spend almost half our lives doing it or, or a good, very good portion of it and there's no lessons of it at school. There's no like, this is how you sleep, guys. <laughs> it's just, uh, we're just assuming that everyone knows about it. But I mean, I should have, I should, of course, I should have known better. I mean, I, I also read all the time and, and a lot of the courses that we teach are on wellness and well-being. But what, so and was, so what's going through your head here? What's the motivation behind this drive that you see potential? Like you guys saw this being a huge business or you just believed in the content? Like what's motivating you at this point? I'm a hugely rainbows and unicorns optimistic person. I think it's hard to start a business or to run a business if you're not. In fact, I don't know how you would. I, it doesn't mean that I'm not constantly scared that something won't work. I'm, I'm always, I always think we could be doing better. I'm rarely satisfied, but I, I think you can still be a very positive person even if you're not satisfied. I think the reason why I push so hard and the reason why I it's it sort of in my head and I, and I think I'm still slightly guilty of this, probably not as guilty, but still slightly guilty of this is the kind of business that we have. And I think the kind of business that a lot of internet or online companies have is you're kind of one sale away from a ginormous success. And in my head, I'm always like, well, if I just do this one little thing, if we just get this next course out, if we just get this next client on board, if we just sign up this next partner, that's, going to be the gate that unlocks absolutely everything and i think of course in life that's not normally the case at all you you hear about it a lot because when it does happen it's obviously brilliant um, and amazing and, and and it's a great story to tell but you know i think if you look at most businesses it's a long slog it's a marathon right not a sprint the ones that make it often are the ones that have proven to stand the test of time and that takes a lot of future Grind. planning 
Right, and and it t- does take sacrifice, and it is is it, it often can be a bit harder. But my belief, and I mean, I have to believe this because we're still on that journey, is that it's always worth it. And you know, I, I think it's in my head. I feel very blessed that you know the business managed to survive thanks to you know lots of friends helping out, and and obviously Jake, my co-founder, stepped up, and my team stepped up a lot. And I still joined you know, weekly meetings, but I was in bed normally half comatose so not really able to think clearly or help too much and the business kind of plateaued I think for that year a bit we slightly increased I think which you would kind of hope but we didn't go too far forward but we didn't go backwards which is the main thing and and uh, and at this point are are you profitable or generating enough income to pay yourselves anything by the time you get diagnosed yeah so it um it coincided with a slight uptick. And when I say slight, I mean slight. We managed to cut a couple of costs. And at the same time, our sales slightly started to, to increase. We created a subscription model. And at first, we created a yearly subscription model. So originally, when we started, you could buy an individual course. So you could you know, learn about behavioral economics from Rory Sutherland and Ogilvy or learn about fintech from Barclays Bank. Um, and you could buy those courses individually. And that was great, but people were like, oh, I want to buy a bunch of courses, but if I buy them all, it's going to cost a lot. So we, we were selling them, I think at the time, around £80 or £100 a, a course. And so we created a, a subscription mm-hmm. where you could get access for a year to everything for about, I think it was £250 or something. It was like roughly the price of two or three courses. But then you have a renewal every, each year. And, and that that had a dramatic effect on our sales because suddenly you only needed to sell five courses a day to make a thousand or five subscriptions a day to make a thousand pounds. So it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was profitable, but it started to allow us to pay ourselves a tiny amount. Like when I say a small amount, you know, I'm talking maybe 2000 pounds each for Jake Jake and I. It didn't mean that obviously we could, we couldn't move out of uh, our our folks' house really at the time because you can't rent somewhere for for that really in, in London or anything like that. How long between starting the business and then launching this all-you-can-eat annual subscription was it? One year or two? So I reckon if we, that stuff started around 2018 and we, so it was probably about two, maybe three years okay. before we were sort of roughly breaking even. And when I say breaking even, that's not, that we're not paying ourselves a proper salary. Yeah, it's on small salary basis. And then right. you're breaking even, you're paying yourself a small salary. Chris goes to the doctor and gets diagnosed. And basically, you got to kind of pull the brakes on everything. I mean, it, the thing is, you can't pull the brakes on a business because a business just carries on regardless. So <clears throat> we ended up, yeah, we, as much as possible, the business carried on as is. It just had to carry on without me. And I guess any great business you know, shouldn't be reliant on one person. Otherwise you, you've got a problem. Luckily our business was fine. Like we had the system and the software and the platform we had built, because we actually built our own e-learning platform, which most people never do because it's quite complicated and, you know, it's totally bespoke, everything that we do. We we had luckily a whole load of things that we wanted to do that were all written down. So there was a wish list of things that we wanted to do already. So up to a point, a lot of what ended up being able to happen was to just follow these job lists or these 
job cards of things that we wanted to do and actually just flick through them. And a lot of the conversations that were already started, it was relatively easy for me to say, hey, I've got to take some time back. Here's Jake. Well, here's one of my other team members. And, you know, they were all incredible. And, and without their support and without their help and without their sort of daily messages to me, because I still had Slack on, on our phone. We run everything through Slack, asking me how I was. Because kind of those little messages really lifted. I tried mm-hmm. not to actually look at any of the numbers. I, I It would freak me out too much. So I didn't look at the sales really at all during that time. And I'm very interested because I, I have a feeling lots of people will go through what we're about to talk about, but how do you have this kind of conversation with your co-founder? Like, what was that like? He actually came with me to the hospital when I got diagnosed. I think we're, we're very different personalities. If you can ask any of our team and they'll, they'll be like, yeah, you'll pro- probably they'd say that we're opposites. But I think that really helps in business as well. Where I'm probably overly optimistic, Jake will will often be the same on the other side. He'll challenge my assumptions and, and he's almost always right as well. So thank God he does. I think and you, you need that fine balance. But I wanted, I mean, I've been best friends with this with Jake since we were seven or eight years old and we've you know been through highs and lows together. So that was why we trust, I trusted him to start a business with him. And, and obviously mm. it made sense that if I was going to, you know, I knew that this was a potential at this hospital thing was that I'd get bad news. And, and so Going with him, in my head, it was an easy, no-brainer decision. You know, if you've gone with your parents, it's going to be really emotional and it probably would, yeah. make, it would make me feel bad for them. Whilst I know that Jake can be really logical and really straightforward with these things, so I knew that he would be a calming influence. Mm-hmm. And luckily, to be honest, they drug you up quite a lot quite a lot so i needed him to drive me there anyway and when, when i got out we, I, was, I remember kind of back it was weird we went to waitrose to pick up some shopping afterwards why not and and i was just chatting to him like it was the most normal thing i was like yeah it's not great he probably i haven't actually asked him about it since but i'd imagine he must have thought god like this guy's on so high which I, of course i must have been with the drugs but thank god i was on them and then it, you had moments where it, there was a weird two-week period where or I think it was a week and a half, maybe two weeks. I mean, it felt like a lifetime where you're waiting for the proper diagnosis back and the reports from the hospital and exactly what's going to happen. And they don't tell you too much. I think they purposely don't tell you too much because they want to look through the whole thing and mm. give you the, a correct answer. But of course, all you're screaming out for is, what is it? What is it? I need to know exactly. And, and when the doctor phoned me and he was, they were like, oh, you know, we think this is going to happen. This. I remember like breaking down in tears loads of times. And again, Jake was there to help me through it. And then Jake was in London. I ended up moving up to the countryside to be with my parents and my brother. He's also, you know, super a strong pillar um, of strength, really. He took me to all of my chemo sessions and, uh, and helped me through all And of was that. that move into the countryside also part of the mental health aspect of this disease and your lifestyle. I mean, you can't live in London Central next door to your startup on the same floor as your team and then choose to back off, right? So how did you like make this decision? Was it an immediate, oh, I have to prioritize being alive and then the rest of it matters? Yeah, it was a no-brainer. I mean, you've you've got to think about yourself. So yeah, it was a really easy choice to make. And the reason why it was a really easy choice to make is the hospital that I got diagnosed at randomly my local GP was still registered where my parents are and so the hospital that they put me into was in Peaceborough which is near where my parents live in the countryside in the UK so Mm. I had to be near that hospital and so it made total sense to be at my parents plus 
as you say, it, it, you know, my parents' house is in the middle of the countryside. I've still got a room there. You know, they hadn't emptied all my stuff out of my room, so it felt like home. It's always felt like home. And obviously, my parents could could look after me and and you know make make sure that I'm I'm okay. And my brother would would be there around a lot, quite a lot as well, taking me to sessions and then. Yeah, yeah, it was very bad timing for for my now wife. Yeah, we'd been we'd been dating for about six months, and uh, when this happened, maybe a little bit longer. And uh, I, I, I like I actually I've never really talked to her about it too much. I think because I secretly don't want to. I just don't want to know what she was thinking. But yeah, yeah it, it was horrible. Like we, but we, yeah, you know, she was in in London at her place, and she'd come up at the weekends and come and see me, and and obviously that was a huge support as well and, and knowing that there's someone there and yeah. it, i think it gave that as well as the business kind of gives you two quite big things to fight for you know, when you put your mm. heart and soul into launching something you, you don't want to give up on it and with same when you've got a beautiful relationship with someone who you love you you don't want to die because that's um, <laughs> not that anyone wants to die but it, i mean it, it gives you some strong things to live for um, yeah and at this point are you the functioning CEO of the company? At that point, I was, yeah. I mean, I still am now, but I, Jake took, took control of everything pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so you mentioned earlier that you popped into meetings. Was that because you wanted to stay connected or like you, you felt you had to? Because surely you're thinking, what the fuck is this? I don't want to be, I want to just relax. Like this thing did this to me or, you know, like surely there's some resentment to the business as well as you want to survive, the business to survive. But did you consciously think, yes, I must come to meetings. People need to see me. Or what was the reason? I don't think I've ever felt resentment towards the business. I don't think I felt that, the, I didn't feel like the business did this to me. I felt like I did this to myself. It was my own conscious decisions. It's my own fault. And yeah, I think that will always be the way. I think the reason why I wanted to join meetings was more selfishly. It's just, you know, you want to, when you're going through treatment for any, anything that's a weird disease that's, you know, that there is no like solid cure for, you're dealing with a lot of unknowns and humans, anyone doesn't, that people don't deal very well with unknown unknowns or known unknowns. Basically, if there's unknown in the title, we don't like it. Going to a meeting is a known. <laughs> it's it's something familiar. It's something solid. Part of my coping mechanism was to still, in a gentle way that was manageable and wouldn't stress me out, was to still try and be engaged as much as possible with people because and talk about stuff that was nothing to do with cancer because that gives you a sense of normality and it and it helps you mm. your brain stay in a good place i think if you go the other way and you look at it i mean i, I purposely I, I researched everything in my life and i purposely did not research my cancer at all and i did that very consciously as well because my thinking was mm. <laughs> i'm going to read death at the end of every article that i go to online and it'll freak me yeah, out i mean and, is... and i'd rather not know is very typical entrepreneurial obsessive brain, right? That you went from, I'm going to obsessively build a business to, holy crap, I got cancer. I'm going to obsess over the cancer. I think it, it's pretty good self-awareness that you were like, actually, no, I need to go to meetings and I need to see my parents and I need to see my future wife so that your brain, and I mean, I speak from experience, my obsessive monkey brain just goes, okay, 100,000 miles an hour into this thing I'm obsessed with. So it feels like a really smart distraction 
distraction from the new impending thing, because entrepreneurs always have an impending thing, yeah. to go, okay, I actually need to be at meetings and I need to chat to my best mate, Jake, who's also happens to be my co-founder and is not the source of my stress. He's helping yeah. me alleviate the stress. So I like that approach. I think that was a smart move. Yeah, thanks. Uh, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it, yeah, it was, it was just a very weird time. I, I, I spent... Yeah, don't get me wrong. I still spend a lot of time watching Netflix and, and chilling out. Particularly uh, mm. the, the the chemotherapy stuff is interesting. You, what happens is the first time you have it, you're like, "Oh, this is okay," and then you get home, and after about two or three hours, you're like, "Whoa!" <laughs> like you're just zonked, like a zombie, and you're you're still there. You still know that you're you, but you just you feel like imagine you know when you just you wake up and you're super tired. And you just can't will yourself to get out of bed. That's kind of how you feel, except there's a whole load of other weird things like you can't, you know, the, the different chemotherapies have different side effects. My one was it didn't make me lose my hair or anything. The stuff that they gave to me was anything that was cold <laughs> would suddenly make your your fingers or your toes have pins and needles. And it was super strange. I could I could only drink warm water. Luckily, I had treatment in the summer in, in the UK. It was a nice summer that year. Thank God. But I remember going out, I was trying to, you know, one of the key things is you've got to try and keep your, try and keep fit. So you, you lose a lot of weight, but you particularly your arms get really weak if you don't keep exercising them. So I was actually trying to go for little walks or go for little cycle rides as much as I could, you know, without, if I felt I was panicking or stressing too much, I'd stop immediately. But even going out on a sort of semi-warm day and you breathe in and it would feel like your throat's closing. It's so strange, such a bizarre experience. And I... <laughs> Hopefully you don't need to ever do that again. But yeah, you think of other things. And I think the one of the big things for me was, I think because I came from a more a creative background and there was a really nice guy, I think you know as well, Convertish. So Con used to be, I think, the creative director at Saatchi and Saatchi in South Africa. He got type of brain cancer and he started a app called Cancer Dojo. And I found him, as I, I've known him for years. And he was like, okay, like, don't worry, I'm going to help you try and get through this. And he tried to prep me as much as he could. And one of the things he told mm -hmm. me, which I, I found incredibly helpful, and is he was talking about visualization, visual, visualization techniques. And I think we do this sometimes in business, right? You sort of will something into effect, into reality. So, you know, and I, I think it can work sometimes with things like businesses. I mean, I, I think you have to be positive if you don't think it's going to happen. Surprise, it probably won't. Because I think if you're just thinking that something will happen, even just that action will mean that you're probably likely to take actions to make that thing happen. If you don't think it's going to happen, you probably won't take the actions to make that thing happen or give it a chance of happening. Visualization for a disease is a very different thing or maybe slightly different thing. But the thing which I was doing was trying to literally visualize the organs in my body that were not working right or that were um, infected or had a cancer. And then I would visualize each night and every morning when I woke up, I'd try and visualize that what that would look like when it was healed <laughs> which is often like a weird like passageway or like a you know you've all seen those pictures where they put cameras up people uh, and <laughs> you can see like these little passages so I'd, i just visualized one of those that was totally clear and, and it didn't have a spot or a, a little horrible bit where where cancer or anything else is uh, and that really helped me because it i think it helps i don't i I don't think I'm not like a crystal lover or anything, but I think it, it, 
I think that there possibly is some, there's some, there's obviously other big things going on in the world when it comes to your mind and thinking about things. There's some relationship there that I don't quite understand. I'm not saying that this is like a, a Buddhist monk sort of uh, conversation or something, but I do think that our mind is incredibly powerful and that we don't 100% understand it because I don't think we can see mm-hmm. it and we can't measure it. And anything we can't see or measure is kind of very hard for us to explain. I think we might, we will be able to in the near future. I think we're getting closer to it, but something it definitely seemed to help me. And even if it was just me thinking that it was helping me, that's probably helpful enough. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the I, th- I like to think of these things in the opposite. I'd say that to prove the positive you think about visualizing the negative and there's nothing good that comes out of visualizing your organs decrepit and dying. So the opposite probably is true too, that if you do visualize them better, it helps you. Even if it does no no actual good, it helps your mood. And the same with the business, right? I believe that happiness is a choice. I believe that being in a happy business is a choice. Being in a happy life is a choice. And if you're in a business and you are constantly under attack and you're constantly feeling like people are out to get you, then guess what? That's true. One of the books that tell everybody to uh, to read is um, Only the Paranoid Survive. And I just, I got what one quarter of the way into that book and I couldn't read it because I fundamentally don't believe that. I don't believe that only people who think that they're being chased and people are out to get them survive. I I just think that is the wrong way to live. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is you can choose to be uh, a victim. You can choose to be negative in your business and your life, but that actually makes you a victim and it makes you negative. And I think that the alternative is better to rather default to positive. And that's a good segue into the question that I want to ask you is how being having known you for over a decade and being the positive person that you are, I, I genuinely can't recall you saying a bad thing about anybody ever. How did this trauma and the stress affect your outlook on life, affect your relationships, affect your perspective on the world? Like what did it do? It had some effects and some others, not so much. And and, uh, let me clarify this. Sorry, I'm going to mix up my words here. So I think if, if I hadn't have already had some trauma happen in my life, it would have made more of a fundamental impact. I'd already had, when I, when I was sort of 15, I think I was 15 turning 16 or 16 turning 17, I lost uh, my brother in a car accident. And I think that that was the realization for me that, you know, life is, is short and precious. And I probably, you know, obviously I lost track mm. along the way because I uh, managed to work myself into a near death experience but that gave me the the courage and the extra push to go out there and do things a little bit differently and not take the path well trod so you know i came to south africa and and you know thankfully met amazing people like you and built a community here of great friends who i'm 100 percent sure i'll be friends with for the rest of my life and thank god because I've, I've managed to build a bit of the company over here in cape town as well which has been lovely it gives me an excuse to be in the sunshine like I am now and and so it, it, it got me over that it gave me the courage to to do something that other people wouldn't necessarily do I think this more recent experience perhaps pushed me to make some other life decisions I I thought long and hard about it uh, and I didn't because I didn't want to be horrible but I was persuaded that it would be the right move so I got engaged while in the middle of treatment to, to my now wife luckily she said yes <laughs> um, and she stayed good. with you 
yeah she stayed with me I, the, the, the engagement was hilarious like i got her um, I, I was trying to organize i booked out the everyman cinema so this cool cinema in the uk and i got a friend to make a little film so uh, at the end of the movie they paid played a film and there's no one else in there just her and i and i pretended i'd lost my phone so the, the everything went black and then uh, she was she was using her phone to try and find my phone which was actually just in my pocket and uh, and then this film started playing and then i i got the ring out of my bag and proposed to him she, i don't think she remembers at all what i said she was just in burst into tears and uh, she had the worst day what a lovely that story yeah, she arrived and she was almost in tears. She's like, yeah, my boss has been horrible. She had a horrible job back then. But so luckily she had a good end to her day. But yeah, it's, it, that, that, that's been amazing. We got married last year in lockdown. and uh, Hopefully we'll have a honeymoon this year. Did you do something similar and renew your vows with Jake and rededicate <laughs> yourself to the business? And I mean, that's a joking question, but actually quite a serious one because after near-death experiences, post-traumatic growth will tell us that we're stronger versions of ourselves. But often it'll make us rethink the big things in our lives. So did you really seriously reconsider what you were building, how you were building it? Maybe go get a corporate job and get a big salary and not have the stress. I probably thought about it for about a millisecond. <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> and then was like, no, I'm not doing it. I mean, the, the job I had before doing this was at Ogilvy and WPP and I loved it. I, I did it for, I think, you know, seven, maybe longer years. Like it was great. First sort of big time I'd worked for a big corporate and I loved it. And I think the thing that I loved about it was I made my own position there, and, and which was great, which is also kind of rare to be able to do. But in advertising, you have to learn a little about a lot. And I think in today's world, just generally, it's really important for you to know a little about a lot because our jobs and our lives are changing all the time and so many things have been automated. So, you know, I think, uh, yes, in some industries, you need to be a specialist. But for the vast majority of us, I think specialization is more of a hindrance than a help. And so a lot of the courses that we teach are, are around you know, trying to broaden your skill. skills in a way that's easy to understand and enjoyable, which is why we teach behavioral science and creative thinking and lots of fun stuff like that. We even teach happiness as well. Amazing. But uh, That's really interesting. There's actually a phrase that I've come across uh, recently in researching this kind of founder and these kinds of skills, uh, expert generalists. Yeah. And I've latched onto that because my entire career from the age of 16 building businesses, I always felt like I wasn't an expert at anything because I can kind of code and I can kind of do marketing and I can kind of do yeah. whatever. And when I found this phrase, it like I felt like I'd found my identity. Uh, I'm an expert generalist. I go deep in one or two things, but I'm wide in a lot of things. And what you're saying, I think, is true of the world we live in. You can't, if you were the best writer in the world, but you don't know how to get that writing out into the world to read, you're dead in the water. And that requires blogging, marketing, setting up a website, all sorts of stuff. So we aren't best served anymore being specialists and doing that career for 60 years. That doesn't exist. 100%. Yeah, I think Stanford called them T-shaped people. T-shaped yeah. individuals, like Mr. T. That's yeah. the image I yeah. always use in my, my talks when I talk about T-shaped yeah. individuals. Mr. T, because he's a jack of all yeah. trades and a master of one. It's good. And I, I remembered uh, what I was actually supposed to be saying, which was you asked me about the relationship with Jake and it did change. And I think it changed a lot for the better. I was saying that we're very opposite characters and we are. And I think when you're spending too much time around each other, it, it often it's not beneficial to either of you. I think you need you need periods apart to be able to come together. That sounds really stupid. But in my experience, that's been 100% true. And I think 
what ended up happening was and it, it kind of happened a little a little by chance it wasn't necessarily designed but it, we've kept it that way and i think it's worked very well as we you know we because i was up in in the countryside and he was back down in london we weren't in each other's spaces all the time and it enabled us the space to i think have our own bit of peace and because we'd end up always talking about business and work and always you know talking about things that could be and and i think you often you end up talking about things just because you can talk about it i think having that time apart just means that when you do get together you maybe treat that time a little bit more special or with a little bit more dignity and respect and you and so you have maybe slightly shorter conversations about the things that are a bit more important and i think it's it's really helped our relationship and obviously if you're running a business with someone else if, if you've got a better relationship that's only ever going to be better for the business as a whole as well so it, it definitely helps 100 percent agree with that and i mean i i know that i'm quite an a-type and controlling human being and being the ceo it's my my vision my drive my everything you don't strike me as the same kind of ceo but the the question that i want to ask you is was it difficult to give up control because one day you were running a business and the next day you were not. What's that like? I mean, yes and no. Uh, I trust Jake with my life, literally. So I was never that scared. I mean, I don't know whether scared is the right way it words. I think for me, it manifested itself more as sadness than frustration, if that makes sense. Hmm. But I think I very much came to terms with this was probably all my doing anyway. So there's no one to blame. There's no one to be angry about. And I generally speaking in life i i don't try well, i try not to get angry yes i do get angry sometimes of course i get angry sometimes i'm not some miracle worker but my dad was a very inventive he still is i mean he's not inventing anything now because he's, he's in his 80s but you know he was a big inspiration to me growing up because he invented lots of things and often it well, pretty much always it never quite worked and often it was because people were bad and kind of screwed him over but I never saw him get angry about him about it. He was always happy that he had the idea and gave it a go. And and I think that was a huge lesson in my life was, you know, I've seen people that get angry when things don't work out their way. And, and I don't see any positivity coming. There's lots of things that I've wanted to do and that I want to do with body two courses that don't happen for whatever reason. There's big sales that fall through. There's partnerships that don't work out. And that happens more often than there are successes but you we can either choose to be bogged down by that and get, get really upset and angry about it and you know god damn you world but or, or you can choose to just move on and, and be happy that you've tried and i think as long as you know you've given it your best shot and given it a go and that's fine and you'll find something great the other side yeah it, we've always come back stronger because of it and you learn something from everything right it's not a failure it's just another Absolutely. it's a cheesy line it's not another failure it's another opportunity to learn something i mean it's yeah. not a cheesy line it's an important thing that a lot of entrepreneurs misunderstand their relationship with failure i like to tell people that i've never met a successful person who's avoided failure towards their success it just <laughs> yeah. it doesn't it doesn't happen it's impossible. Yeah. You cannot avoid failing and still consider yourself a success. So I, I appreciate the way that you have framed this, that, you know, the chances are this has happened and made you a better leader and made you a better version of yourself. So I want to ask you, this might be a, a bit more of a difficult thing to quantify and, and it's fine if you don't have an answer for me, but do you feel like your experience set your business back at all? 
And if so, can you quantify that? Like financially, staff, business deals, was there anything? Or do you actually feel like this one year foundation that you had to like do that roadmap and work on the tech set you up for a great 10 year future? There's definitely a lot of stuff that, that got done while I was out of the business. And, and it definitely, it, a lot of them were to do with the platform and making that more stable and more solid. And a lot of the work that was done then definitely helped us afterwards. I don't think we we missed out. Maybe, yeah, maybe there were conversations that I could have had that didn't happen. Maybe there were a few more B2B sales or something that could have, could have popped up. But honestly, I don't think it massively held the business up. I don't think we'd be in a dramatically different place now if I would, if I'd still done that, which I think is testament to the, to the business itself, just being in a good situation and testament to Jake and the team that we had around me that, that kept everything going for us. The, the biggest differentiator was something that none of us ever expected to happen, which is the pandemic. We, we went from, you know, we had a good year and then in 2019, I was like happy, finished the year, very happy. And we had hopes and dreams for, for the next year. And then the pandemic happened, but our business has always been remote and has always been on demand and is in e-learning. And suddenly when everyone's stuck at home, e-learning becomes more of a thing. And so it, it, you know, we kind of doubled our business pretty much, which is great. And it coincided with a whole load of content that we had filmed luckily the year before. And and we'd built this platform up to be a bit more solid and, and enable us to onboard corporate teams. And it just, and also there are a whole load of other things, like lots of companies stopped doing Facebook and Google ads at the beginning of the pandemic. Like most of the big brands either stopped or cut their spend dramatically. And that enabled us to, with the same ad spend, we were getting, you know, four times the reach that we were before because all these ads are done on an auction. So if no one's bidding, you're going to get the bid. So it was absolutely phenomenal. Like our advertising, um, stuff even though we have very small budgets because of the self-financed we're doing really well and it's kind of we worried a little bit that maybe last year the tail off because the world started to relatively speaking get a little bit more normal but we kept on growing which was nice and we've had the best start to the year of any year this year as well which is so <laughs> fingers crossed that it keeps on going that way so yeah, i'm excited to see where things go but i think so a lot of that a was, great was insight <laughs> Uh, I mean, well, look, I mean, luck you, is a combination yourself, of hard work and not dying. Uh, I get you. I get yeah. you. you. You set yourself up for your own. Yeah. But yeah, we had the platform. We had everything there. And yeah, it all. Absolutely. I want to highlight an insight there that you gleaned over that I think is quite important for entrepreneurs to understand right now that you said that you don't think that the business would be anywhere different today if you hadn't have gone through this hard year. And the reason I want to highlight that is because a lot of people say, I can't go on holiday today. The business needs me. I can't take a break right now. The business needs me. When you are forced to take a year off because you might die, the business doesn't need you. You can take that time off. And I think that you can probably testify to this, that you are only as good as your leader. So if the leader is suffering, if the leader is burned out, if the leader of the business isn't at their best, the company's not at their best. And that's why you stepped aside. That's why you got well. And now that's why you're back at your best. And it's an important thing that people misunderstand is that you can just grind through burnout and suffer through pain and you can't. A hundred percent right. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm still, I still have not got this right. I still need to take more holiday. My wife always nags me about it. I'm lucky enough to enjoy what I do, but I'm definitely way more mindful about uh, putting barriers in place and and as to you know when I'm actually going to go to bed and stop working and I think you've got to be when you're running a business or even when you're just high up in a business you probably have a to-do list which is you know pages long and you have a hopes and dreams list which is book books long and you've got to get very comfortable with never being able to some days not even make a dent in in what you're doing I actually had that this morning Uh, we went out for a little uh, quick coffee just before I had this and and Maren he's over here with me she was like are you okay I was like yeah I just feel like there's so much like we haven't I've got this long list of things to do I just haven't got through any of it it's really and she's like just it's okay just breathe like everything's gonna be all right like nothing's nothing's life or death and I think that's you you need someone sometimes to say that to you and other times you'll remember it yourself yeah so it's really important to step away and and Mm. I, I think in one of the good things that came out of the pandemic was, you know, my head was, you were kind of forced, I know in the UK, we were kind of forced that, you know, at the beginning, it was like, you've got to go outside, you're only allowed out for an hour a day for a walk. And so that became a norm, you're going outside for a walk every day. And it actually helped a huge number of people, I'm sure with their, their mental health and, mm. and well being, just being able to go outside and, and sort of think, you know, you, you often at the beginning, I don't think you were even really allowed to go out with other people. I mean, you could go out with one other person. So I, I would imagine a lot of people went out by themselves. And I think having that time to reflect was actually probably very... I know the pandemic obviously mm. has been absolutely horrific for lots of people, but I wonder whether we miss the positive stories. Teaching yourself, yeah. And I yeah. think there are probably a lot yeah. of them. Yeah, but if it bleed, if it, Okay, so if it bleeds, before... It <laughs> yeah. We focus yeah. on the negative. Yeah, pretty much. Right. So before I ask you to tell people where they can find you and follow you and all the rest, in closing, do you have any thoughts to leave with people who might be going through something similar to what you went through? I mean, I, I think it's just try and make sure that you time you take the time to find friends to talk talk with about it and, and try not to let it, uh, overrun your head and overrun your your fears and and if you see yourself going down that rabbit hole try and do anything else to distract your mind and think about something more positive it could be going out for a walk or a run or a cycle ride or it could be watching something funny on tv it could be phoning a friend anything that gets you out of that rut will help because then you'll start training your brain to not go down that route uh, that train of thought do you think the visualization technique can help it obviously depends and if you if you don't believe in it, it's also not going to work. It's uh, it's kind of a tricky one, but I, I think if you, you know, there's lots of articles on that online that you can sort of look up. And I mean, I I think it's just try and find peace and some time to rest, really, and surround yourself with your friends and your family who who love and support you. If there is someone who you know normally takes a lot of your energy and time and is a bit of a sink, try not to, to call those people because it definitely won't help. But yeah, don't. Yeah, whatever will be in life and yes like none of us want to die but it's going to happen at some stage and i think in life we used to have a a very um open conversation around death and the finiteness of, of life and i think in the last kind of probably 40 years we've lost that for many reasons i don't think it's necessarily a total shame that we've lost it but i think it is 
helpful to to remind yourself that things don't last forever and that you're not the center of the universe and to try and become comfortable with it if you like apps there's loads of them like headspace is a great one for that i find that to be really helpful as well i still use it today i don't necessarily meditate every day but i think it's it's nice just even if you're just listening to it in the background it's there's, there's definitely a calming sense to that the main final summary point i think would would be that in my head, in the, which is part of the reason why I selfishly run a learning company, is I strongly believe that the day you stop challenging yourself and the day you stop trying to learn new things is the day that you give up on life. And you know, there's there's that great quote from Alvin Toffler, and I think he said, the illiterates of the 21st century won't be those who read and write. They'll be the people who fail to learn, unlearn, and relearn. And I think that's so true in today's world that you know, you... you Everything's changing all the time. There's always interesting things to learn and learning has never been as affordable, as available and as good as it has been today. I believe it will continue to get better. If you can do some of that with us, even better. And on that exact point, tell people where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can buy from you and how to get in touch with you. You can have a look at any of our courses at our website, which is 42courses.com. We don't have 42 courses. It's just uh, 42 is from a famous book, uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's uh, the answer to life and the meaning of everything. So, uh, the answer words. to the so, yeah, universe. Yeah, we've got uh, so 42courses.com um, and it's just at 42courses on everything else. Me, I'm at Chris Rawlinson or Google me. If you see someone who looks like a, an Olympic hurdler, it's not me. I'm the other Chris Rawlinson. Chris, as a friend of yours, I have a personal stake in saying this, but for you and 42 courses, it's not over. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm looking forward to it. It's been so lovely chatting and felt like I've been at a therapy session.